All right, if you would be turning your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 4, we'll be in verses 1 through 16 uh, this morning, which is the entire chapter. Uh, And so as you're turning there, let me give you the key truth that I would love for us to walk away with today. It's that the Lord's Day Sabbath worship calls us to rest in God's mercy and grace and hope of the eternal rest to come in Christ. Let me say that again. Lord's Day Sabbath worship calls us to rest in God's mercy and grace in hope of the eternal rest to come in Christ. If you would give your attention to the reading of God's word, this is Hebrews chapter 4. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as it did to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken on the seventh day in this way, And God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts." For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, obviously, we do not have time to mine all that this chapter has to say for us, but the emphasis that we're going to look at is the role of rest in the life of the believer, not just what will come, not what has passed, but what, what is current as well, how we prepare for this divine invitation into the eternal Sabbath. And so as we uh, look to go there in, in the conclusion of our series on worship, uh, let me ask you, what helps you to rest? Now, this is a little bit of a trap question, because what we often mean by rest is not at all what the Bible means by rest, right? What do we usually mean when we say, ah, I just need some rest? Sleep. What else? 
TV. So, so to actually disengage from, to veg out, to uh, not have anything engaging you, well, that is not biblical rest, as it turns out, right? Now, you may say, well, yeah, but what rest means biblically, and, and again, notice in this chapter that he mentions the, the, um, when God rested twice, and notice there's a repetition in this chapter that'll help us so we don't have to cover every jot and tittle, uh, but it'll help us progress along the thought that the author of Hebrews has here, but, but when God rested, what it meant was that he enjoyed, feasted on, engaged with what he had created. So he got the benefit from the work of his hands. God didn't go to sleep. In fact, it's interesting, the Psalms make it very clear that God doesn't. He never sleeps. In fact, he is always at work on our behalf, but there is clearly a difference in what he did when he rested and what he was doing when he was creating. And he didn't rest because he, he was tired. He was able to rest because he was fulfilled. Now, we are sinners, and that's a harder notion for us, but we are called to it because of what Christ has done for us and the spirit that we are filled with, right? So we have uh, the ability on the Lord's Day, Sabbath, to actually rest fulfilled because of what God has been doing in the week behind us and what God is preparing for us to do in the week ahead of us because we trust and believe that the promises are true, right? It doesn't mean that you won't be tired. Some of us, you come into the Lord's Day Sabbath bone tired. I'm tired this morning. Many of you noticed I was yawning a lot this morning. It's not just because I'm 50, uh, but I do have a, a, an inflammatory uh, disease called Hashimoto's. And for some reason, all night long, uh, I felt like I was on fire. And I don't know about you, I don't like being hot and I can't sleep when I'm hot. Right? And so I, I, it's not like I'm coming in fresh, bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. However, however... I came in and can come in and can uh, and recognize that the Spirit can give me what I need to do what the Lord has called me to do, to take joy in the fruit of my labor, which has been the preparation of this sermon throughout the week. It's one of the reasons I kind of push against the notion that, hey, Sunday's a work day for pastors. No, not, not no. It is the day on which we get to enjoy the fruit, the fulfillment of what we have been preparing to do all week. This is the day on which I, I am able to uh, take and give away what I have been working on and striving in all week. It is a joy for me to get to do this. Is it, is it tiring? Yes, I will take a nice long nap at some point this afternoon uh, if my body allows right? And that's one of the gifts. So I don't want you to think that, that sleeping or taking a nap is, is contra rest. I just want you to recognize it is not all, and it is not sufficient. And there really is a sense in which rest is a means of feasting on all that the Lord has gathered for you, and you have participated in gathering, right? And so we want to we be a people who recognize that on the Lord's Day Sabbath, we want to have different rhythms and patterns that fit more that mindset, right? The declaring of the Lord's goodness, the benefiting of the Lord's goodness. This is a ceasefire. You don't have to send angry emails today. You don't have to respond to angry emails today. Think about what a gift it is to have a day on which you don't have to anxiously engage in any of that, right? A day on which, on which you just, time is not the dictator of things. The clock is not your pharaoh. It's not telling you to make more bricks with less time. And so the Lord wants us to have that in real time because that is going to help prepare us 
for what we will gain in eternity and what a gift it will be. So uh, with that in mind, knowing that rest is not sleep, rest is not vegging out, rest is not disengaging in the biblical sense, it is feasting, it is properly engaging and benefiting from what the Lord has been doing and is preparing you to do. All right, now, uh, he picks it up here, he says, therefore, uh, now we have to back up for just a little bit because there's a reason that there's a therefore, so let's back up into chapter three just a little bit and, and recognize that he's giving a description of those who were in the wilderness. So the Lord has delivered this people out of Egypt, and if you know the story at all in Exodus, it doesn't take them long to get into the woods. They start complaining about the menu, they start complaining about the sleeping conditions, they start complaining about everything. And one of the things they say to Moses is, and you got to think this is, uh, would have been fun for a leader to hear who's trying to keep, oh, I don't know, two million people together in the wilderness. Uh, were there not graves enough in Egypt that you got to bring us out here to die? And so it's complaint after complaint after complaint. They didn't want to be faithful. The Lord tried to help make it clear to them, and they just, they just didn't want any part of it. And so they struggled, and they weren't listening. They, they didn't understand why they were being called into this open land to be with the Lord their God. They were not satisfied with that. They would rather have the boundaries of slavery than the freedom of being with the Lord their God in the wilderness. And you may say, that's crazy. Well, we've got to kind of recognize this same tendency runs in us. We tend to like the devil we know. We tend to like the boundaries of whatever slavery it is that we have. Freedom kind of freaks us out. And so this was their struggle. So he says, picking up verse 16, for who were those who heard and yet rebelled? Was it not all those who left Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he provoked for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? So we see that they were unable to enter because of unbelief. So this is the warning, right? It says they were disobedient, but ultimately their problem was not their actions. It was their beliefs that led to their actions. And so he says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands. So he's saying the, the way may be narrow, but the gate remains open at current. Uh, let us fear lest I myself don't make it in. Is that what it says? Is the focus on you? Nope. Lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Notice that language. Seem to have failed. Right? So this is where he's calling us as a community to love one another in a very particular way. This should be something that we are concerned with. It's not just, am I understanding what rest is? Am I understanding what it means to be in union with Christ? It is also to recognize for those around me. Are there, are there people in our midst, whether you know for a fact or not that they are saved, do they seem to not be understanding who and whose they are? Now this, think about this, some of you are very uncomfortable right now. This goes against everything in our culture, which is mind your own business, right? It's one of the reasons we don't have porches on houses hardly anymore. If, do you have a porch that's like a little stoop, and that's just so they can leave all your Amazon packages somewhere? And so you go in your garage, you mind your own business, right? You don't say anything. Uh, you don't worry about, you don't get involved in your neighbor's business. Sufficient is your own, right? Well, that, that goes against 
actually everything that the gospel calls for us to be and do. Right? Remember Romans, like so much of Romans is the unity of a people and how that is displayed to a world convulsing in division. And I get it, we're all wired different. Susan's not going to get way up in your business, more than likely, right? Because that's just not how she operates. However, if she does, it, it means something. So if you ever get a call or a text from Susan, pay close attention. Uh, <laughs> and other people are busybodies. So how does the Bible deal with a busybody? These are banks of the river. Do you have the liberty to ignore everybody else and go your own way? No. Are you to be up in everybody's business telling them what to do? No. So you got you to find some space somewhere in, there in between based on how the Lord has wired you and gifted you for the benefit of your neighbor. And where do you start? Well, you start by saying, Lord, would you help give me the eyes to see where there are those who seem to not be entering your rest? And then, Lord, would you give me a heart for them, for their eternity, for, for being concerned for their rest and good uh, as you have that heart, Right? And then you let the Lord do his work in and through you uh, in that way. Are you responsible for everybody? No, this is the beauty of having multiple parts of the body. One of us is not responsible for all of us. But think about if we actually genuinely cared for one another um, instead of being reactive. Now, some of this is before you go telling somebody, hey, I don't think it seems like you're going to enter the Sabbath rest, as Cameron was talking about. Think about how that's going to play if you have no place to even know and have the chips to be able to say that to each other. It will not play well if you don't, you know, kind of know somebody and you just go up flat-footed and, and say, I, I, think you're, I think you're hell-bound. I'm just saying. Uh, and, and Cameron told me I need to be concerned about that. Um, and so this is where we, before we get to this, we need to recognize the necessity for us to, to be in relationship with each other. And the Lord says Sabbath is a great place for that as a beginning, right? He goes on to say, for good news came to us just as it, as it did to them. And remember, the good news is God loves you. God is delivering you from slavery. Uh, Christ is king, right? Uh, some of the good news there. Uh, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they, and listen, they were not united by faith with those who listened. They had hardened hearts, Right? They didn't like their circumstances. They didn't believe that God's love could be with them in difficult circumstances. They didn't believe that God was with them in the wilderness. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Now, what's interesting, you, if you're paying attention, is we are returning to where we started in this series. This is from Psalm 95. And one of the things that is a telltale sign of someone maybe struggling in that rest is, are we able to take joy and give praise to the Lord, right? Are we, are we able to, in humility, uh, find joy in, in the ordinary means of grace? Or, or are we unable to rest? Are we uh, hardened toward uh, the, the things that the church offers, imperfect though they may be, Right? Um, it is important that we recognize this is one of the bellwethers. If you are if you're coming into the service arrogant and opposed, hardened, unable to hear because you think the, the vessel that's delivering it is, uh, is, is, keeps you from doing that, um, then you're not trusting the ordinary means of grace in some measure. Now, it, it can be that there is a true prohibition. This is why I say, please go find a church where you can enter worship in humility and receive and sing with joy. Uh, 
Now, if you can't do that here, please, for your good, for your eternal Sabbath rest, find somewhere. Um, and that's because it's just too important. And he goes on, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken. I love that. Uh, the author of Hebrews is like, I don't know, somewhere in Genesis. I don't uh, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, what we see God doing is taking joy. He doesn't go to sleep. He actually communes with Adam and Eve. He walks with them in the cool of the day and takes joy in what is good. This is a pattern that is helpful to us. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Notice he said this a lot. Right? So he, he, for the author of Hebrews, it is a deep concern for him that the audience, because Hebrews is a book of sermons, uh, it, it's a deep concern for him that those who are listening would recognize the gravity of the situation. Because he goes on, since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again, he appoints a certain day. Right? And notice what the day is. Today. You're here today. Are you able to, to receive uh, the, the, the word of God? Are you able to receive in the power of the Holy Spirit the good gifts of the means of grace? Are you able to, in humility, hear and, and, and be formed more into the image of Christ? Uh, and can you, can you grow in your understanding of what it means to rest? And so today is, for us, it is that day. Is tomorrow promised to any of us? It isn't. But today is what we have. Saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Remember, we talked about this, that listening, it's not my job to entertain you or make sure you listen based on how I do what I do. Now, can I be a barrier? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If I wasn't wearing a shirt and preaching, that would be hard for y'all to hear, right? It would be, it would be strange, uh, if, if I were to talk in a language you didn't understand, that's not your fault. If, if I were to be incoherent, uh, unprepared, flying by the seat of my pants, all right, that's my side of it is to make sure that I'm faithful with my portion. You are to be faithful with your portion, which is to prepare to hear and to be careful of what may cause your heart to harden. Many things can do that, right? It can be uh, some unresolved tension, which Scripture makes it very clear. If you have an issue with somebody, what are you to do? Go make it right so that you're, you are not hardened and kept from that. Uh, uh, there could be other things as well going on. There could be things going on outside of our church and the greater culture that cause you not to listen or denominationally that cause you not to listen because as you sit in this church, you're thinking about all of those things. I understand that. But this is where we have to work to make sure we clear that stuff away. Whenever I have the opportunity to sit and listen, it, it's the same is true for me. And you need to understand, because I do this for a living, do you know how hard it is to shut off that part of my brain that's thinking about how I would do it? Right? But, but I'm, I'm telling you, I, work, I do. I genuinely try to work very hard to shut that off because I want to receive. Uh, I want to, I'm not there to critique the service. I'm not there to tell him they're not singing the songs right. I'm not there to tell him he should have had three points instead of the eight or whatever it may be. Uh, I'm there to receive. And so the same is true for you. The challenge is what do you do to prepare yourself for worship, right? 
If we just stroll in here to meet with a holy God who promises to be with us, think of the arrogance of that, that there's no, no preparation at all necessary for such a thing. This is why we give you those devotionals. And look, preparation looks different for different folks. But there needs to be something. Some, I don't care if it's in you, before you get out of the car and you made it to the parking lot and you just pause and say, Lord, I'm about to meet with you with your people. Prepare me. You may say, man, that don't sound like much. Oh, remember, he spoke creation into existence from nothing. That little bitty prayer he can turn into a revival if he so chooses. And so it's just a matter of orientation. It's a heart issue, is it not? Right? It's an issue of humility. And so he goes on, for if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So essentially saying, look, if, if getting into the promised land was the goal of the story, it would have ended there. But remember, why did God put them in the promised land? To make sure other people would know of this rest, that the surrounding nations would come to be blessed in and through uh, their, God, their creator, that they would come to know Jesus eventually. Uh, but instead, uh, that's not at all what they ended up doing, which is thus the long sordid history. But the, the point of the promised land was to point further on to a greater rest. And notice what he calls it. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So that's why if you've ever heard me talk about the Sabbath, it bookends our existence, Right? The, the seventh day, arguably, is the first day that Adam and Eve are together in the garden. So their first call is to rest in what God had done and take joy in it. They are not to pick up uh, stuff until the eighth day, right? And again, we can argue about, oh, the 24-hour days. Well, the first one had to be, uh, in which everything was finished. What happened before that, that's for smarter people to argue. Um, but this, this is a gift, right? And then our the end of all things will be an eternal Sabbath rest. This is why that word is so important. And I've said this before. I say Lord's Day, Sabbath, to constantly remind us that that's what the Lord's Day does is prepare us to remind us from whence we have come and to where we are going. And that's critical. He goes on, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. And to enter into God's rest is to be with him, essentially. And let us, therefore, so, so with all that being true, knowing that today is the day, knowing that it is on us to be active in our listening and, and making sure our hearts are not hard to the message of the gospel, knowing what we have coming, let us, therefore, and listen at this word, strive to enter that rest. Now, does that mean that we are to, it's works righteousness? No. That would be contra everything said in Hebrews. Our striving is in Christ, in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's a positive term. It doesn't mean that it's something that's exhausting. No, we recognize how great the gift is, and therefore we are going to orient ourselves, orient the work of our hands established by God toward that end. Instead of having this compartmentalized view that, that the rest of the week is mine, my money is mine, uh, and I'll do what I want. I'll throw a little pittance. I'll, I'll, I'll show up on Sunday. God, you got yours. Now the rest is mine. No, there is no sacred, secular distinction in this regard. It is all the Lord's, right? And so it's not just Sunday. In fact, what the days that precede Sunday should be preparatory for the days that are ahead following Sunday. And it has this 
cyclical nature until we reach the eternal Sabbath rest. It is the Sabbath that should define who we are, not we who define it, right? Remember, the Sabbath is, is created for us, as Jesus said, to help define us. So let us strive, therefore, to enter that rest so that no one, notice again, no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. We should be concerned for uh, our brothers and sisters. And again, we've got to know them well enough to know when they're not doing well and when they're starting to struggle. Now, some of us are, are tough. Like people will text or call you and you just don't respond. That makes it tough for us to love you. It makes it tough for you to be loved. Uh, and, and, then, and, and then there's also just the notion of, well, I, I don't ever really, I'm not trying to get involved in anybody else's business, but this is where we need to think more biblically and be more prayerful for one another. Uh, and again, and this is why. Here's what's, what's coming up is the why. Because whatever it is you're doing that you're afraid of, somebody else is going to out, find out, it's already known. You are, we waste an insane amount of our energy trying to hide what cannot be hidden. We spend so much of our time with a curated life instead of a cultivated life. And we, we started the curated life long before social media. Long before social media. In fact, social media was just working off the capital that had already been established in our culture. That's why it caught fire, because it made it so much easier to curate one's life, right? Um, and so, so we need to be a people who long to live a cultivated life free in Christ because that sin has been paid for. The thing that you are trying to hide from everyone else, the one who created you already knows. And many of you don't recognize you leak anyway. Right? It's not near as hidden. We may not know exactly what's going on, but we, we can, if we look close enough, pay close enough attention, know that you're not doing well. And so here's what it says. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So was there anything that the word didn't pierce or cover? No, it does. This is one of the reasons why we are concerned that Scripture be uh, all throughout our liturgy. We want you to have as many opportunities for the word that is living and active to act upon you, whether it's the call to worship or the benediction or something within the sermon. That's why we're concerned that even the songs we sing uh, have scriptural merit. It's great when it's just straight scripture in some regards, uh, and it's great when it definitely pairs with scripture. And so this is why it's critical that a liturgy ought be filled with God's word, because it's the thing that can reach you. If I reach you, it's temporary. If God reaches you, it's eternal. And this is a gift to us, because there's no reason. So essentially saying, don't strive to hide what can't be hidden. Strive instead in the rest of the goodness of God, and as he's going to go on to say, essentially, his mercy and his grace. And so, as it goes on, it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Now, that would be terrifying if not for the next piece. Since then, we have a great high priest. Notice what it said, since then. Because the, the word pierces because we are exposed to a holy God, 
right? So if that's, if, if without any protection whatsoever, what would happen to us as sinful beings? We would be destroyed. Now notice the great grace, the, the beauty of God's love in this. Since, since his word is going to pierce you no matter what, you can't stop it. Since, since you are going to be exposed and known by him in his holiness, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. So since, since we have a great high priest, we can hold fast to our confession. Because that, that piercing of the word, that being exposed, if we are clothed in the righteousness of Christ, that's a gift. It's a gift that the word helps us to see where we need to be convicted of sin, where we need to grow in greater maturity, where we need to uh, better rest in who God is and his goodness and his gifts and his promises to us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. I think it was Tim Keller who said it, and he probably got it from a Puritan. Uh, we have no idea how actually God, uh, Jesus being perfect, how hard it was for him to remain so in his humanity. Yes, he was God, but he did, not, he did not use his divinity for his perfection. He, according to Hebrews, did it through his obedience, and that obedience came through suffering. So he suffered to win us, right? How hard would it be? You've been perfect the whole way long, right? So your record is beautiful, it's good, and you got some joker spit in your face, put a blindfold on you and slap you and say, prophesy as to who struck you. Entertain us. Rip out portions of your beard. Consider that for a second. He was, he was perfect all the way up to there. If you, if you and I had been able to make it that far, I don't think we'd make it any further. Right? I'm just, I couldn't. And, and, and I remind you of the time he spoke when they asked, they were in the garden, and he, he says, whom do you seek? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. They all fall down. He could have ended it right there. He was showing them, I have the power to end it right now, and yet I'm going to die for you. Get back up. Whom do you seek? Jesus of Nazareth. It is me. Take me. So we need to recognize that this isn't just, this wasn't easy for Jesus. That's the argument of Hebrews, that in his humanity, it actually was taxing to him. But that shows how deeply he loves us and can intercede for us, as Hebrews tells us, uh, in ways that, that, that you know, others couldn't intercede for us. And then, so with all that being true, listen to where he ends it. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace uh, to help in a time of need. This is what we do every week in worship. This isn't just about prayer. Prayer is a place where you do draw near to the throne of grace. But even more importantly, this is what we do together as a group of people, week in and week out. We draw near to the throne of grace to receive what we need uh, in and through God's word uh, because, because we live in a fallen world. It is all time of trouble between the now and the not yet, is it not? It doesn't mean that everything is as bad as it could be, but it, it definitely ain't right. And so this is the great gift of the divine invitation, that the Lord welcomes us week in and week out to the throne. 
Listen to what Charles Spurgeon says. He says, our hope in Christ for the future is the mainspring and mainstay of our joy here. It will animate our hearts to think often of heaven for all that we can desire is promised there. Here we are weary and toil-worn, but yonder is the land of rest where the sweat of labor shall no more bedew the worker's brow and fatigue shall be forever banished. To those who are weary and spent, the word rest is full of heaven. Through the Spirit of God, the hope of heaven is the most potent force for the product of virtue. It is a fountain of joyous effort. It is the cornerstone of cheerful holiness. So I ask, how does God's merciful forgiveness of your sins help you to rest? And remember, that is take joy in, benefit from the work of And then how does his gracious provision help you to rest? That should be what's fast on our minds as we come into worship week in and week out. That is the thing that ought to prepare us is the finished work of Christ, the love of God, and the ongoing work of the Holy Spirit.